Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, everyone. This is Sal Sylvester from 512 Solutions. We're an executive coaching and leadership development firm here in Boulder, Colorado. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool we developed to measure behavior change in coaching and leadership development. It is awesome to be with you today. As many of you know, if you've listened to some of our previous podcasts, we are here to explore the future of work, what that means for leadership, how our society and our world is changing, and what leaders are going to have to do and be and know differently to be successful in the future. And that's where my curiosity lies as an executive coach and a leadership development facilitator. And what I know from my experience in coaching thousands of leaders in the past, internationally, locally, is that what we've done in the past isn't necessarily what's going to be needed to be successful in the future. I'm really excited to be in this place of inquiry with you my listeners, my guests, to explore what the future of leadership looks like. Today, our guest is the fabulous Suzanne Daigle. Suzanne is a business strategist and partner in New Focus Strategic Group US. Her firm specializes in organizational self-management and other social technologies designed, I love this, to ignite high potential and optimize human potential. For nearly a decade, Suzanne has passionately pursued the trailblazing fields of open space technology and agile beyond software. She's worked with hundreds of individuals, companies, and groups nationally and internationally. She's just at a speaking at a conference in Russia. Her mission is to help to transform the world of work by introducing new mindsets and approaches that invite everyone, and not just a few, to fully contribute to successful strategies in their organizations. So this is a great interview with Suzanne. And inside of this interview, you're going to get a glimpse into the future about how self-managed teams and an agile mindset and framework and even open space technology might be the keys to addressing the complexity in our workplace. Let's go to the interview now. Suzanne, welcome. Hello, Sal. Nice to be here with you. I am so honored and excited. I love your energy, and I'm just excited to have this conversation with you today. Well, so am I, and I think energy and excitement meets energy and excitement. So, okay, (laughs) whatever I'm getting or I'm giving is what I'm getting. So, you know, and it's such an amazing topic to talk about leadership and all the things that you want me to talk about with you. So, well, thank you. And speaking of that, we just gave a background, but I'd love to hear more about your philosophy and maybe a little bit about where your philosophy on leadership. What shaped it? How has it evolved? How has it changed? over time? Well, where I really think it evolved, I started as a journalist in my young career. Untrained, Mm -hmm. I just kind of fell into that. And so it gave me the opportunity at a really young age to interview a lot of people, like on the political scene, you know, in companies, but you know, a lot of ordinary people too, that were doing extraordinary things. So you're learning, like you're 
learning tons of things. And then you see the spark in people's eyes and they're telling you their stuff. And then you have the privilege of writing stories. Like sometimes, the, okay, you're a reporter. They're not always positive, but you know, sometimes you're just telling it like it is. But I know that that's where I got my first appreciation of the leadership that's inside people. Mm. And I got hired out of that to work for a manufacturing company that was you know, traditional fashion, lumber, pulp, paper, you know, large, male-dominated, $1 billion sales for 1,000 employee company. And they hired me because there's a really, really progressive president at the time who wanted employees to know and understand the business. And what that meant was, like, how does working capital work? How do our sales work? Who are our customers? So I was kind of hired like an internal journalist. Again, I had the chance to interview leaders at a very young age and go out in the woods, talk to the lumberjacks, the mill people on the floor, the electricians, you know, all kinds of people. And again, I saw that in them, their interest. And so that seed has been there since forever. And it really shaped my career. I know, I really did. Yeah. As your career has progressed and now you're doing work at New Focus Strategic. What are some of the trends that you're noticing in today's workplace, maybe even our society that are impacting leaders today and continue to help you shape and evolve your leadership perspective? Sal, I think what I'll tell you is what I'm noticing is what we're all noticing. Mm. And I mean, you can start listing about you know, how fast business is now, how complex it is, how, you know, when we look at what's happened in the past 10 years, 15 years, it's like incredible. And how customer-centric, how consumer-centric, expectations on quality. I mean, it has disrupted so much of what business is about. And you think of the time-tested ways of working in these, you know, reputable companies that they're having a hard time manage that. And, you know, our whole infrastructures were built around it. And even in society, I mean, we have communications in front of us blaring at us all the time. And to take it back to the leadership side of, you know, those interviews I was doing and everything, in the past, I think leaders at the top, you know, there were crafting strategy. There was more pause and more time to look at this. We weren't getting hit in all kinds of directions with so much unpredictability. Mm. And now we really have to go back to all the people who are seeing the same things as us and they have a lot of stuff to contribute. Mm. So, you know, we talk about VUCA, you know, volatility, conflict, you know, complexity, ambiguity, all those things are real. And you add to that automation, artificial intelligence. And I hate to throw a whole bunch of buzzwords, but they're really happening in real time. And I'm not sure if, leaders in our political environment, in our communities, and in our organizations. If we, as people who follow leaders and others who are leaders, I'm not sure we've adjusted to what this really means. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of anxiety out there. People are exhausted. But I think there's huge opportunity if we take mm. some risks. Yeah. You mentioned but how does this sound? I mean, your, yeah. this could be a conversation because we're seeing the same things, you know? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, all of that. And I think it's much of what many people, everyone is seeing to some extent. And what really stood out to me, you mentioned the word unpredictability. I think therein lies some of the reason why things are so complex today. And yeah. we, in many ways, have to change 
our mindsets and how we think as leaders in order to deal with that unpredictability and nature of our workplace. Yeah. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. And so how do leaders do that? You talk a lot about self-management. How does the I idea of self-management... Let me get into that real quick. I'll just say something about leadership, like, you know, yeah. my perspective. And then I'll make that connection with self-management, which is, Great. you know, what drew your attention. But I think, you know, we went through a stage of, you know, going to Six Sigma, ISO, quality, you know, Duran, Deming, a whole bunch of different improvements that we did as leaders navigating the future and creating a little bit more predictability and amazing results. But that's kind of reached its limits. Plus, I don't really, really think that we really optimized what was under the surface of that and tapping into the potential of people. Yeah. And when we're talking about impredictability, I don't think it ever was very predictable. But we were under the illusion that we can get from A to B in the quickest way possible and we'll get there. But really, we often didn't quite get there. And we were always having to explain why our results didn't quite meet plan yeah. and try and adjust and then come up with our next plan that we feel is going to meet plan. Mm-hmm. Now, that's becoming even more difficult. You can have at the drop of a hat, everything changes. So I will set that context. Yeah, well, it's important context. I'm curious, why have those past methodologies and processes reached their limits? What's different? Because I think we did achieve a lot of the efficiencies. We did do, you know, waste elimination. We did have some productivity elements. And you kind of went and the things you felt you could control, we've controlled Mm -hmm. them, but then the world continued to change extremely (laughs) much. And those kinds of changes, we can't spend our time thinking that we're going to be able to predict and control ourselves out of you know, that impredictability. We have to learn to navigate as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to shorten our timelines on results. We need to pull in more people. And that can appear really scary. It can appear as if we're letting go control. And I really, really believe that it's quite the opposite. We may have those periods of chaos, but we have them now. We just will have more ears to the ground, more people closer to the work, doing the work and contributing and a lot more engagement. Mm. So, and if it isn't quite clear, I'm not sure, you know, if I've been quite clear in explaining that it's amazing how much effort we have put to get this certain outcome. Not, you know, we're, this is where we're aiming from. And usually it comes from a small group at the top that has Mm -hmm. kind of set that direction and then delegates it down. Yes. And now you'll have people under everywhere that say, wait a minute, I don't think that's going to happen. And it really describes my career, Sal. That Mm. journalist that Mm -hmm. got to have an ear talking to different people, I would notice, hey, how come sales is saying one thing and operations is saying another and finance is right in there to point out the gap and saying, you guys don't know what you're doing. And then the fight would ensue. And then we would work towards these numbers that each end felt was kind of impossible to achieve. And we'd spend a lot of time explaining the gaps. And I'd be thinking, well, why don't we all get together in the room? So as you think to the future, what needs to change either in what leaders do or how they work with their employee base? To give an example, I'm going to jump into the Agile community and then I'll go to self-management if I yeah. may. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the technology community, I think, have been trailblazers for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. In the late 90s, they were doing major implementation changes, like major enterprise-wide changes. Yes. And I think you may recall, many times it would happen, they'd be over budget, they would not meet their timelines. 80% of what would get installed or set up only 20% got used. Even sometimes we'd get the latest version. It wasn't even the latest version. We were three versions behind. The people that brought it in, the leaders that were in the technology world that brought a certain system in often got fired at the end and they'd hire a crew to fix it. (laughs) Well, that was their reality in the 90s. And Mm -hmm. nobody understood. It was super complex. There were super big demands on them. And so in the late 90s, a group of about 17 trailblazers from around the world got together and said, what do we do about this? Mm. And they created the Agile Manifesto that had a huge, huge focus on people, on relationships, on how we work, relationships with clients. And then they've spent the past 20 years, Sal, operating with self-organized teams where individuals are able to have a voice, contribute, they become accountable to each other, they get Mm. more clarity on what the end result is, and the most important thing of all, they work on shorter time cycles, less of a long, long horizon, and they will deliver outputs that are shorter. Mm -hmm. And when I was exposed to them and saw the energy I saw their commitment, their passion, even if they were the geeks out there. There was something happening in technology that I felt, wow, what's going on there and what can we learn? And I still think that we're only at the tip of the iceberg of that, Mm -hmm. which brings me into self-management. I remember the old waterfall approach to software development. I used to work for Accenture and we'd roll out these massive technology projects and it would take six months to build these releases and people would still try to squeeze things in at the end and just massive amounts of effort, but you get one or two releases a year. But the agile methodology, the framework is very different. What are some of the core principles about the framework for folks that aren't familiar with it? And why are these important in today's work environment? Well, you know, we have the opportunity, like when I think of Scrum, which is the most used and, you know, scrum beyond software, outside of software. Mm-hmm. You know, have teams of people at the front end that are all, rather than passing the baton between like the developer team's going to do their thing and then they're going to pass it on or the innovative team then pass it on to the developing team, to the testing team, to the implementation team. Teams right. are working together. Yeah. They're working together from the get-go and mm-hmm. they're listening to the customer through the product owners. So they've identified roles and customers are communicating with them much more often and how they organize the work and who decides the flow of that work while respecting what's the output that we want to have. And Mm. the output is discussed and you get a definition of done. Like, I mean, they've invented almost new processes, new language, new approaches, And I've increasingly, you know, spoke to some leadership and others and companies, and some of them are so simple, but they're not easy, but they're Mm. simple. So on how the work gets done, how the communications happen, how they hold each other accountable, how they do improvements, all of this, it's kind of under the surface, it's there to be borrowed from. 
And, you know, mm. so I wish I could give you like a whole litany of all of this in this short time, you wouldn't be able yeah. to, but I've often told leaders, hey guys and gals, yep. why don't you both check in your organization? They're there. They're hidden. These people are hidden. They're, you know, our outliers and our geeks who are doing stuff that we don't understand. But on the process side, I'm telling you, there's stuff that we can learn from them. Mm -hmm. What are you learning about accountability, for example? Agile teams or self-managed teams, how does that change between maybe traditional accountability and how these self-managed teams operate? Team members are accountable to each other. So the flow of the work is very transparent. They have daily meetings, which they call stand-up meetings. And some, it might be less than daily. It might be three times right. a week. But there's a lot of visibility to the work. Mm. And, you know, you're not depending on somebody else to coordinate, to organize, as it is in self-management. I mean, people are actually contributing things that they know. And so that's where the accountability happens. It, there's kind of no place to hide, but in a good way. There's a lot of opportunity for pride to surface and for good work to surface and for team members. And they also do something called paired learning. So two people working together, one is on the computer and the other one is watching. And one would think that's wasteful. Well, it's been proven time and time again that it's absolutely not because a two sets of eyes can improve the outcome by much. And it becomes a natural collaboration that happens. So there are many elements that I find they have perfected and continue to perfect. And if there is a block, and you might hear some complaining, or I think it's because it's a bit like a glass ceiling, <laughs> that management is operating traditionally in a more bureaucratic, delegative way. And we're still doing waterfall management Mm -hmm. as opposed to a more emergent way of yeah. having management like technology found out. You know, and waterfall is, is that. You wait, you do your piece, and you don't always know where your piece is going to go. And you don't know where it fits, and you might not hear anything from it yeah. afterwards. It's not a perfect world in the technology community, but I find they're on a journey that we have much to learn from, just as we have to embark on our own journey that borrows some of their stuff and then also pays attention to what's happening in our companies now informally. Mm -hmm. Sometimes formally, but informally, like yeah. those unsung heroes that are yeah. doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. And I'd love to hear, so if you're interested in this methodology, but you're not necessarily in software development or technology, how does the framework or some of the concepts of the framework then apply to other areas of a business? Anytime that you need to produce the product or you need to have a project that needs to deliver, yes. it applies. And so how do you go about it? Well, I went and got my Scrum Master training. Yeah. And that gave me the basics of some of this language. But right. right away, Sal, I knew there's a whole bunch of good stuff there. So I say this is an invitation to co-create by using the smarts you already have that you already know, identifying some of the problem areas that we all know we have, mm -hmm. and then seeing what applies. Yeah. And many of these kind of new routines, our current management, it's a bit like habits. Like it's about changing some of our habits. And yes. that's not necessarily easy. But if we go at it a habit at a time, and we start including people more, 
and we start delivering with some of the, you know, we can shortcut the future by taking advantage of some of the work that's been done. And we can also give to our technology people the support and entering them in the world of management at the strategic level more. Yeah. So it's the sharing of co-creating and sharing of our talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I recently did a podcast with Mark Samuel and we talked about habits, team level habits and yeah. how important they are. You know, you can look at a group of musicians or you could look at a sports team and they get into habits both individually and collectively, and that's what makes them. They're already the best at what they do. But these habits is what really creates the winning formula. On an agile team or a self-managed team, what are some of the habits that have to be developed that are maybe different? Yeah, let than me jump yesterday? into self-management because that is like, you know, my partner, Doug Kirkpatrick, works for Morningstar, which was called by Harvard one of the most creatively managed companies in the world. And, you know, about 4,000 employees, many are seasonal, many are not, a billion dollars in sales. Well, you know, they're the epitome of really tapping into the voice talent of people on the job, you know. And what attracted me when I met Doug was it reminded me of my old manufacturing days. There's things Mm. that were so simple, Sal. It was like as basic as... What's your personal purpose about work and how does it connect to the purpose of the organization? And you can write that poetically if you want, or you can write it in bullet points, but how does that connect? So that's basic communication 101. What's your job? How does your job connect to processes? So, you know, to the key processes and they are invested and given the opportunity to think like entrepreneurs at whatever level. So you can have a machine operator that determines, you know what, there's some issues with my equipment and I think we need to replace it. And they can go get some support and help to create a business case, almost going to the point of going to the bank and getting money for it, which is pretty unheard of. And then you can have, you know, if they need new electricians or new janitors, well, janitors hire janitors, electricians hire electricians. They decide who gets on the team. And if you're interested in exploring or expanding your role and your job, you Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to do that. They have discussions on decision-making. What's my decision-making authority? Mm -hmm. Like, will my decision on this affect somebody else? Well, then who do I need to consult? These are all step-by-step things that solidify the scaffolding underneath through conversations, through some common understanding, And then you start these new ways of working and, you know, they're not that complicated. Like in a few days, you can get people really so much more in tune. And, you know, I was in Russia lately presenting in the hospitality industry about self-management. And I said, it's a natural fit. And one of the audience members said, what's the toughest thing that you find? I said, the toughest thing is to have leaders take the lead. I said, you know, we can read about swimming, we can study swimming, we can break it down, but until we start to swim, we just won't get there. And letting go control, you're not really, you don't have to be the smartest people in the room. There's a whole bunch of people out there that want to help. And it's not like a wide open kumbaya thing, you know. I think I mentioned to you that I also do open space technology. But open space technology is really providing the opportunity for 
a highly diverse group of people that are connected to a certain issue or opportunity to weigh in. And serious work happens there. So the risks are far, you know, I mean, you're not transforming the whole organization all at once. It's going to be issue project focused. And you get to see the latent talent that's there. Yeah. I want to talk about open space. Before we go there, leaders making that leap, letting go of control, how do they do that? What are some ways in which they really let these self-managed teams thrive? and still have a level of accountability and drive for the business results and outcomes that they're striving for. I'll give you a suggestion that I have. It takes me back to my journalism days. I'm going to say, please, please have conversations about strategy. You know, at the boardroom table or at the senior leadership table, those issues that you're wrestling with or that you see opportunities about, talk about them. Like, use your communication role to connect with people. And it's not about rah, 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 get the best work environment and flux time and all this. I mean, those are all nice. But really, the greatest honor you will give to people to start seeing what the potential is out there is by you sharing strategy and you, what do you think? What do you see? And I say that it's that. And then, you know, again, get educated what's happening in the technology world. If you want to find out about self-management, well, let's roll up our sleeves together and look at what that could look like in your organization. Because it's not a turnkey, you know, do this, do that. You want it to reflect what that organization's culture is and to map out the pieces that says, hey, we'll plug in this and plug in that. And I feel like it takes so little to do so much. And I don't point the finger at leaders much because Mm -hmm. I think we collude with leaders. We want them to take care of us. We want them to make it safe. And that is not fair (laughs) because at the same time, we want to be involved and engaged and we don't want to be commanded and controlled. Yeah, sure. But then as soon as someone starts to shift you know, their persona of how they do things. Well, it's not always, you know, a certain thing that will be supportive. So we need to start that journey together and, you know, realize that we are each contributory Mm. (laughs) to Mm -hmm. keeping our bad habits and not instituting our good habits. But I trust human nature and I've worked with enough companies to know that those people that are waiting in the wings from the head of housekeeping in a hotel to, you know, the machine operator, they will be more frugal than you know. They will be more dedicated than you know if you treated them as a co-partner in that business of yours. Yeah. Two words came up for me as you were saying that, trust and ownership. When people feel like they've been trusted, they're much more likely to take ownership or act like owners when they're running those machines or they are the janitor of a facility or a VP of some division, but there's a difference in mindset here of, it sounds like ownership to me. Yeah. And you know, Sal, another thing when you're saying that, it's like not only a conversation on their machine, a Mm -hmm. conversation about the business. I mean, Uh, you know, in that company that I was first in, I mean, we used to 
7 a.m., have meetings with the mill employees. I mean, they're finishing their shift and they're kind of half asleep and we'll give coffee and donuts. And we're talking about how the company did and explaining some fairly complicated things. And I mean, they were included. Like, I mean, we were talking about the real stuff that involved their work, but also involves others' work. And that is such a privilege to have people treat each other that way. Yeah, it really is. Now, you mentioned open space technology. And maybe open space is kind of the epitome of a lot of these concepts that you're talking about. First of all, tell us what open space technology is and why it's an important sort of emerging process. So I'll do a bit of contrasting here. So typically Mm -hmm. when we have a strategy, everybody prepares their PowerPoint, present their PowerPoint, and then you try and find a few minutes in between that so that you pull it all together and you create your strategy. And then, you know, it is what it is. Okay. So an open space, let's picture that. Well, no, I've done it. Like, let's create the strategy of the future together. So it's simple. A question. (laughs) The next thing that's under there is context. You know, we're inviting a much more diverse group to participate in this. And we explain why it's important. And we might put if there's some limits, okay, we don't have unlimited budget, but, you know, here's what, and here's what we would expect of you. And then people are sitting in a circle. And if it's 500 people, it might be concentric circles. It's like, however the number is. So that's a little weird for people, but it's the best way to just feel connected. And then people create topics, initiatives, ideas, whatever they feel. They don't have to be the expert. And it's done like in about 20 minutes, Sal, that they come up with the initiatives that they feel will support this key critical strategy question that's out there. And it's on a wall. All these topics are posted. They write it in a few words or a short sentence with their name on it. So can you imagine someone whose name is on a really cool, cool initiative that never would have been seen or heard because it would have gone through all our layers of management? And then people self-select and self-organize to the topics and initiatives that they feel the most drawn to. Mm -hmm. And you have concurrent meetings going on throughout the day And people are always like blown away, blown away by the level of discussion. And after each session, detailed notes are taken by someone who has self-assigned themselves or whoever initiated the topic, ask someone or they do it. Mm -hmm. That gets typed right then and there immediately and is posted immediately. So that means after a two-day open space on strategy, you can have a 140, 150-page report of every idea that got discussed, who was in those groups, what were the main points of action. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what we do in open space in the last half day is then we start looking at all these and say, which are the initiatives that have the greatest potential, that are the most realistic, that, you know, and you can just choose eight or ten and go to the next step level on those. And the people that were involved, the ownership that exists towards those initiatives, which are totally measurable, they're totally business, they're totally taking you in an innovative, creative direction, there's a lot of pull to that. Like people feel very energized. Yeah. You know? And the downside, Sal, is that you'll go back and then it feels so uncomfortable to work back in your traditional role and you know, as you're getting back with your little boxes of here's my job and here's the limit of the job and I don't have an opportunity to contribute more like I used to, nor receive input, it creates, you know, some friction that we have to grow into. But 
once they've done this, and if you have a determined group, they know how simple it is. And I mean, there's no over-facilitation in this. People have right. their own smarts. Mm. And they can, you know, and that gives you just a quick picture. And when I was first exposed to it, and I'm not a one-trick pony girl, I'm not the type that, oh, give me the latest flavor of the month. I thought, holy man, all those years that I tried to pull, you know, marketing and sales to the degree. And I thought if I had had this, I wouldn't have had to be so behind the scenes doing this or that or trying to, I wouldn't have had to do anything. Mm. You just create real issues, identify real issues and invite, involve and include people. Mm. So beyond strategy, can leaders incorporate open space technology in day-to-day processes or meetings? How have you seen it used? Well, I've done this with you know, a company that we're having some issues with their clients and they want to get in sync with their clients. Once yeah. they've done this, they then right. decide, you know what, we're going to open space once a week and they'll have an informal meeting that small group leads mm-hmm. or else there's a whole mindset towards this, which I didn't explain the principles and the principles address this control element that we think we're going to control. It kind of expands being in that present moment of this discussion rather than having your mind so set that, okay, I'm going into this meeting, but my goal is to get to B. Well, somebody else's perception of B is different than yours and somebody else's is different than yours. So we invite people to say, don't go into the meeting with that closed mind if it's only this way. So there's a mindset that gets instituted into Mm -hmm. the company that starts Mm -hmm. filtering through. So there's five principles and there's this little law that's not highly prescriptive, but it makes people pause and you'll hear that all the time. I worked with the packaging industry and their theme was Evolver Parish. Well, they're doing their fourth Mm -hmm. Evolver Parish and they created a national organization, strategic networking organization, out of this meeting of an open space with about 100 people, which had so many meaty topics because the industry needs to learn faster, needs to adjust faster. And packaging is a very, very collaborative industry. You have machinery, you have marketing, you have chemicals, you have distribution, you have so many players that need to collaborate. So it came out of an open space, which they continue. So you start living in an open space way, which is really self-management. What's the biggest mindset shift that people have to make to embrace the open space philosophy or way of including and involving people? I think it's our personal, each of us, because I was a bit of a control freak too. I'll admit it. And that We don't want to burden others with some of the things that we feel. We have a broad range of experiences. Mm. We don't maybe trust that others can really contribute. We live in a short-term world, you know, having our results, you know, on a quarterly basis, and we have to meet those numbers, and we don't feel we have the wiggle room. But I think what we're realizing is that we're not delivering consistently on those anyways now. So... The leaders, I feel like there's not much I can say. All I can say is, what do you have to lose? If it didn't work, fine. But do you really have to have another sage on the stage? 
and everyone sitting in the audience and not having an opportunity to even internalize, explore and contribute. I, I mean, it's so disappointing. Plus, people are in that safe zone. They don't have to do anything when they're in the audience listening. Yes. But when you engage suddenly, you know, hey, what's your piece of the puzzle? Mm-hmm. Suzanne, where can our listeners go to get more information? Three key things that we talked about today. Agile, Scrum version of it, if you want to get some inspiration from the technology side of Agile. We talked about self-managed teams and open space. Any resources that you can point us to? to yeah, uh, well, there's a lot. And of course, they could go to our website and there's some things there at New Focus Strategic Group. Certainly on Doug, there's uh, Doug Kirkpatrick is mm-hmm. a world expert in the area of self-management and has written a book. And there's also people that are traveling the world called the corporate rebels who are visiting like humongous companies, all kinds of companies. Like Hire in China is a huge entrepreneurial company which bought all of GE's share in the appliance business and they are amazing. So the corporate rebels are, are another group. Frederick Laloux has written a book called Reinventing Organizations and has talked about, has 10 case studies there. If you Google Agile and Scrum, and Steve mm-hmm. Denning, Steve Denning wrote a book called The Age of Agile, and I think it is excellent book that points out how people outside of technology can adopt some of the components of Scrum and Agile. Next week, there's a happiness festival, global, and uh, self-management on the day of work is being featured there. So I'll be curating a group there next week on uh, the 21st. 21st. Okay. And for our listeners, this is 21st of March. Yes. Um, The podcast may be a little bit late in that, but that's something we can... They'll probably be recording it, you know. But no, I mean, just the good old-fashioned trusted Google. So go Google self-management. Go Go Google. Google. Yeah. And by the way, Doug has a TED Talk uh, that might frighten some people because it talks about no bosses, you know, no bosses. Well, people who are bosses are going to say, what happens to me? Right. (laughs) Right. What happens to you is you're going to have a life of doing the stuff you really love at work and you don't have to have it all on your shoulders. Yeah. Well, look at this. I mean, we've got Agile self-managed team, open space technology. There's some real changes that are starting to happen here. Suzanne, thank you so much for being with me today on the future of leadership. So grateful for your time. I am too. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be enthusiastic with you and let's trek on. Sounds good. Thank you, Suzanne. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership, I'm out.